Hello, 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 hello. What up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 2727 of the Just Joe podcast. Oh, man, it feels so good to like be doing these again and talking with all my friends. Uh, I made a, a longer list today of all the people that I really want to get to this year, uh, some of them being local. Uh, a lot of them being national. I really want to uh, push the limits. I've made a lot of friends along the way, and uh, I've never really called on the favors of some of these people, and I'm hoping that they'll be a part of it because I think a lot of these people just got some interesting stories. And, you know, we all look at these larger podcasts and we hear these bigger celebrities and all that stuff uh, and more well-known people, but I want to be that person that just finds those people that are on the fringes, man, that have been so close or and have these very unique perspectives on the music business and mental health and fitness and everything else you know everything that makes me excited in life and speaking of excited i'm really excited to have this guest on he is not only a dear friend but it literally might as well just be a brother of mine i have known him his pretty much his entire life i think i can remember him being in diapers so we met around when he was 18 years old <laughs> Just kidding. I've literally known this next guest since he was in diapers as a, as a young kid. Um, his family um, and myself have been close for years. Uh, we've been a tight-knit group from our hometown. His older brother, Mike, is the drummer in Brand New Sin, was the original drummer, and now the drummer again in Brand New Sin. And, uh, and this is the little brother that has been everywhere. I'll give, this is Marcus Rafferty. Marcus Rafferty so many different things he's been um he's been a roadie to bands like hell yeah lamb of god um fozzy saxon mudvane hate breed i'm sure i'm forgetting some other ones along the way he's been around the world he's seen more of the world than i ever did he did more touring than i ever did he has been there and he's been on the other side of the fence being backstage and doing all that, but also being in the forefront with a band called Fall of Humanity, that which he has with Mike and some other ones along the way. But I don't want to give away too much. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome my dear friend, my brother, Marcus. Reff. Say hi, Marcus. Hi, Marcus. <laughs> What's up, buddy? So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start out with I have a great story with the two of us. I well then I remember, let's hear it. Yeah, okay. So once upon a time in the brand new Sinland of things, and I was just a wee little guy with very little facial hair and no tattoos yet. Um, you guys were out on tour with Black Label Society, and I had pulled an all nighter with my dad driving to Jersey and then going to Massachusetts following the van. Oh, yeah. And you guys got a flat tire on the trailer. Remember that one? Barely, because that was the end of that run. We played Asbury. We played at the Stone Pony outside. And then you guys yeah. followed us up to we played the last date of that tour was at Loca Bazooka at the, uh, up in Massachusetts. So, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Now yeah, it's all coming then, back to me. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and then you guys popped the trailer tire. And if you're trying to do like a U-turn in that residential area, you had to curb. And fuck, I was out there beating it with a hammer and got some fix-a-flat in that thing. And didn't that take you all the way back to Syracuse? It did. We played that show, <laughs> and then we're just like on a wing and a prayer of like, let's just get home. Because, I mean, dude, that that tour was amazing. But, I mean, it was two weeks, but it literally felt like two years. Like in a good way, because, <laughs> because there was – I tried to tell the story. I tell the stories of that tour so often that it could like – I'm like, that could be that – 14 day tour or 16 days or whatever it was could be turned into a Netflix like mini series with the, it's a complete mayhem that happened because that was when Zach was still, you know, very much wild, very much, you know, untamed. And we were just, it was the wild west. So yeah, it did make it home. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, That's man. Okay. That was a crazy, crazy, crazy wild ride, buddy. <laughs> so yeah. So what's up, man? Nothing, man. I'm, I'm I'm glad to have this podcast back. And I I, I was making sitting here making a list of all the people that I have know locally, all the people that I want to reach out to that I know from the touring days or just from from the my life in general. And I'm like, man, I've never talked to Marcus because what I, how how I preface this whole thing is that I've I'm pretty pretty much have known you since you were in diapers, like you and your brother. We've all known each other since we were little, and you guys, you know, being you know almost 10 years younger than me 
you know, by the time I met you when I was teenagers, you guys were still, you know, in your single digits. So we go back a long ways. And I was just saying, I go, since then, you know, Marcus went, you know, I talked about how Mike was in, in, in brand new sin, but then here's the crazy thing. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but how the catalyst of all of this that's going that we're going to talk about is all started with your brother getting kicked out of brand new sin. Right. So we started teching. Right. So we, we let Mike go. Mike goes and starts teching for trivium chimera, I believe. And then, yep. then, and then you end up coming along on a trivium tour and then here it goes. So tell us how you got that gig with trivium, right? Is that how it's all started? Was that That's how it all started? Yeah. So, um, Mikey was out with chimera trivium was opening up for them. And then Trivium called Mikey to go out and tech for them. And Mike was like, well, you know, they're, they're not really that big. And I don't know if they're, they're going to pay me a lot of money or whatever, but I, I want to go help them out. Mike, he's got a huge heart and he loves helping people out. So um, Trivium was playing Syracuse and they stayed at my parents' house on the floor and couches and wherever the <laughs> hell else they could sleep. I remember that they, and, played uh, the, they, they played at the Lost Horizon. I remember that show. Yeah. And I sold merch for them that night and they, I made them like 400 bucks or something. That was more money than they'd ever made uh, selling merchandise. And which is so funny because now they're a multi-million dollar band. Exactly. But, right. Um, they were like, dude, it'd be really cool to have both you and Mike out on the road. They were all kids. I think the oldest one at the time was 21. And they're like, you know, nobody would mess with us if you and your brother were both on the road. So, I was like, all right, cool, man, let's, let's do it. And I, I went out and did it, sold merchandise and just started the whole wild ride that right. was to become my next six it, or 17 years. I was going to say, it was a long time because that was, that was like the early, that was the end of 2002 and the 2003. So yeah, that was, you know, nearly two decades ago. And, oh, you know, man, and that, and, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's where it started. It kind of went from there and then, what I said to everybody, I go, your main, your main gig for a long time and where it really kind of took off for you was when you got the, when you met Minnie Paul. Tell us how about you met Vinny Paul from Pantera. If anyone's not uh, familiar, Vinny, God rest his soul, um, really took you under his wing. But how how did it go from Trivium to Vinny Paul and then to Hell Yeah and then let's let's just get to that point because there's some there's some, okay. there's a gap. I'm going to do a short. I'm going to do a, a very fast <laughs> recap of my uh, my early early years. Trivium Danzig tour was my first tour. I went out did that. And then uh, I met Jerry Montano, who was playing bass for dancing at the time. He had another band called Nothing Face. Yep. So um, the second run that I did with Trivium, the Road Rage Store, in 2005, uh, I ended up getting really homesick. After the tour, I went home. I was like, I, I can't do this. Yeah, I missed my girlfriend at the time or some stupid shit. <laughs> and I was like, I just, I need to be home. Went home. And I'm like, well, this sucks. So um, I, re I reached out to Jerry and Nothing Face was going out. I'm like, dude, I really, I'd like to get back out on the road. I'd like to go out with Nothing Face. And he's like, well, we need a merch guy. And uh, he's like, we just, we don't have a budget to pay anybody. I'm like, I'll go out for free. I just want to get back out there. So I did. I made Nothing Face $19,000 in three weeks selling merch. <laughs> right. And uh, they gave me 500 bucks at the end of it to go home. And I was, I mean, I was goddamn 21, 22 years old. So that was that was great, and I got home, and then the opening band on the Nothing Face tour was a band called Silent Civilian. They needed a guitar player. That's right. I, 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 I fucking totally forgot about that part. Well, I didn't forget about it. It's just like there's been so many there's so many shades to what you've done. So go ahead, Silent Civilian. Yeah. With with, Silent with, Civilian. with Johnny with Johnny from a band called Spine Shank. It was one Spine Shank fell apart. He yeah. started Silent and Civilian. Was, yes. And that, that was an incredible band. I loved the band so much. I wanted to be a part of it. So. I tried to try out for like four weeks. The manager kept saying, just send us a video of you playing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, listen, the band's going to be in Reading, Pennsylvania next week. I will drive down to Reading with my gear and I'll play in person. So 
I did. And they put me on stage that night to play the two songs that I jammed with them. I had the most technical difficulties you've ever freaking seen. <laughs> of ever. course. That's how it works. But, yeah. So then after the fact, they, they told me I got the gig. So I went out on tour with Silent Civilian for about a year and a half uh, playing lead guitar. And, I mean, dude, I, I got a big head at the time. I was kind of a dick to some people. And I apologize to a lot of people because that just, I mean, I've been extremely humbled since then. But uh, a good friend of ours, Stan Derby, was yep. sitting home in Florida. I mean, Our bass player was Silent Civilian quit. I called Stan, flew his ass to Seattle, and he joined on with us for about six months until that kind of fell apart. But that's a different story. Yeah, well, I, me- I remember that because there was a you guys were on the road during like the Fourth of July, and you yep. you were home, you were back home, and we all went to Jackson's house. And we had a yep. big party at Jackson's house. The RV was parked there. We partied for the weekend. I remember that's when Stan, that was when Stan was in the band. So, yeah, keep going. Yes. Now it's called coming. Okay, so then after Silent Civilian, I got kicked out of Silent Civilian. I, I knew it was probably going to happen because I was kind of being a dick, and I thought I was bigger than what I was. And, you know, then you learn really fast that you're not. Right. So um, I'm sitting home. I'm bartending at Daly's, and my old man is – you know, he's, he's always been my, my biggest supporter, him and my mom. But um, Blackfoot and Molly Hatchel were playing up uh, up north. So I'm like, I'm going to take my dad to see this show. So I went up there. I got a phone call from Tom Maxwell from Hell Yeah. He's like, hey, man, I need a guitar tech. I'm like, dude, I don't know what the hell a guitar tech is. He's like, dude, it's easy. You know, and I learned that it was not easy. Um, but Tom's it's, like, it's I, so know, much more than all you got to do is change strings and like hand me my guitar. That's all you got to do, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and at that point in time in, in life, it was uh, an unwritten, uh, an unwritten contract thing stating basically that I had to be as drunk as Tom by the time he got on stage, <laughs> and that that was just not not a good situation at all. But um, so Tom's like, you know, we'll give you a thousand dollars a week plus per diem. I'm like, holy shit, I've never made that much money in my life. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, I'm well, hang on, I gotta see if I can I can swing that. Hang on. Yes, right. I can. <laughs> I think I yeah. Can do that. So I told my dad about it. I'm like, I got to be in Albany tomorrow. So actually, Peter, Peter and Joey Brill ended up driving me down there for the first gig. But um, so uh, I get down there. We're on the Corn Family Values Tour 2007, and I'm way in over my head. <laughs> I mean, way over my head. I have no fucking idea what the hell I'm doing. But um, by like the sixth show of messing shit up, Chad Gray is like, dude, listen, man. You you need to get this. You need to get this one nailed today. Otherwise, we're gonna have to send you home. And I'm like, fuck. So I stayed up all night doing whatever I could. Had a great show finally. And then Vinny fucking Vinny grabbed me aside and he was like, all right, man, all right, let's see how you work out, kind of thing. I'm like, okay. So um, it was New Year's Eve coming up. It, it was a couple months before New Year's. We were in Boston and there was a dude playing acoustic guitar, singing songs, and uh. I was like, fuck it, I want to go up there and play a song. I was I was kind of drunk and had, uh, you know, I got to go up there and sing a song. So I did. And uh, afterwards, Vinny's like, hey, man, he's like, listen, my brother and I started this band called Gasoline a long, long time ago because Pantera never wanted to play shows on New Year's Eve. It's just a jam band. We have fun. And, I, I, you know, Dime's not here. I need a guitar player. Would you come in and play? And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, of course I would. <laughs> so after that show, once again, so you're like, yeah, yeah, hang on, let me check my schedule and see if that fits in. Yeah, that works. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Vinny flew me out to, to Dallas a week before the New Year's gig. We learned a bunch of cover tunes. It was really, really awesome. There was a video of it. Somewhere yeah, I remember I remember watching it because before there was like a streaming thing, that was like, it was streamed. You could watch that show. I remember that vividly. Yeah, it was like we actually kind of had like a cool little production. Actually, the second year that we uh, did it, Affliction sponsored it. We all got paid and shit. I got one of Dime's guitars, the Dime's giveaway Dean guitars that he had, that he gave me. Actually, the, the matching one that I have, Sammy Hagar has. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> so anyway, after the New Year's gig, I'm like, I go back home, hell yeah, start back up, and I get a phone call from the manager saying like, hey, uh, so uh, we found somebody else that's going to come in and guitar check. And I'm like, what? I was really confused, but I got shit canned. So I'm like, the same tour manager that, replaced me, called me six months later to go out and stage manage and guitar tech for Avery. So as soon as that happened, I called Chad Gray up and Vinny and told him what was going on. And Chad was legitimately pissed off. Like that dude 
worked so hard to get you out of our camp so we could bring you into eighth grade. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man, but this is what's going on. So, did that. Went to eighth grade. Did that for probably a year or so. And yeah. then Mudbane fired up. And I saw Greg at the, at the clubhouse because I did a, they had flown me back in to do the, the dime tribute at the Ozfest, the one Ozfest they had in Dallas. It wasn't yeah. the tour, just the one show. So after the show, I go to Greg and I'm like, well, actually, Matt Van Fleck flew down there and my dad for that show too. So anyway, so I'm talking to Greg and I'm like, dude, I'm not the best tech out there. I know this, but I got your back, dude. I'll always have your back no matter what. So I get a call from Guy Sykes a few weeks later saying, hey, man, uh, Greg said he wants you for Mudbane, dude. So <laughs> Boot to yeah, the cool. Shit, let's go. Boot to the yeah, cool. I'm Guy like, Sykes, boot to the cool. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah, let me check my schedule, guy. But, yeah, so, so I went and did that, and then went back to um, back to Hell Yeah after that. Oh, then when I ultimately got fired from them, I ended up <sighs> doing – Lamb of God for the last three years on the Slayer tour. I know that that's that's like the quick and dirty man. There's so much in there. There was Saxon. There was Fozzie. I mentioned those. Oh, you know, God, Jesus you, Christ, I forgot about right, that. Right? Yeah, yeah. But then you you also did some stuff with um. Oh my God, why am I forgetting the name Anthrax. of the band? Anthrax. But you're Dragonfly. Dragonfly and country, country as fuck. What band is that? You did some more. Oh, Shaman, Shaman, Shaman Harvest. Yeah. yeah, you worked with yeah, them I too. I did ship rocks with them. Oh my god. Yeah, ship dude, so them. and you did all this stuff, but like the one thing I want to go back to that you said is that like you got in completely over your head, and you're like, "Fuck it, I'm just, I'm just gonna go for it and see what the fuck yeah. happens." I can't. I don't know if I can swim in the deep end of the pool, basically. And I've said this before. I said this in interviews before. Like, when I joined Brand New Sin, like, I had never been in a band. I'd, like, sat in with some bands or, like, kind of did a couple shows for Jamie's Bree, but I, like, had never been in a band. And then I joined a legit band, get a record deal, and before I even play a show, and then all of a sudden, you know, six months later, we're on tour of Motorhead, and I'm going, I don't even know if I know what I'm fucking doing. Yeah, but I dude. said, fuck it, let's let's see where this goes. And that's what you did. And you made yourself available. And anything no anybody who knows and have been along the, in this business, you gotta go into this business basically open up to like I'm willing to do whatever you want and I'll do it for I'll pay you yeah. to take me. I'll I'll pay my own way type of shit to get out there. But that's how you get into this business. So dude, like experiences that you can't buy and it's like you just, if you want to do anything in life, and you know this more than anybody else, but if you want to do anything in life, even if you don't know how to do it, sometimes you just got to go for it. You got to be yeah. able just to say, you know what, I'm going to give up everything that I know and love and try something just to see if I can do it. Right. And it t- you'll and never know. Right. But most people will, would have, like, if you had so many, op- you had so many good opportunities early on, but you also had so many ways to be like you know what yeah i guess that's not going to work out and give up on it and be like yeah well that was a fun run i'm going to go back and i'll get a job in my hometown and i'll just i'll do the right thing what i'm supposed to do which there's nothing wrong with it but you like you there's something inside you that like no fuck no dude i'm not i'm not gonna do that like that's not how i'm going out you know yep you gotta you gotta try every single thing I mean, dude, bag borrowing steel doesn't even begin to fucking. <laughs> no. Dude, I, dude, I went out there for nothing. I went out on the road with dudes I didn't even know for no fucking pay. And just my dad would give me like $100 a week on my fucking, my little savings bank card that he got for me just so I could eat. Yeah. You know, I slept next to me and Stan Derby when our RV broke downtown in civilian. We slept on the sidewalk in Boston next to the trailer so that nobody saw our trailer <laughs> you know like dude i've been through hell that, and back yeah. but you gotta do it no you gotta do it and the, the biggest thing and i want to i want to give props to both your mom and your dad and we give you pro- big props to your to, to your dad as well because honestly i know what it's like to like 
I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done in this business without the support that I had from my parents and literally having the same type of situation where I was going out on the road and be like, I got no money. And my mom would be like, here's a hundred bucks. Or they would, you know, they would wire me money to literally Western right. Union and stuff like that. Like, yeah, dude. I cannot, like most parents would have been like, get your fucking ass home and get a fucking job or, you know, like that. And that's, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But our parents are cut from a different mold, especially your parents, because your mom being a musician and your dad being one of the just most passionate music fans I've ever met in life and unbelievably proud of both you and Mike and what you've both accomplished in this and they will always have your back so it's like you need to have that I mean if you didn't have that maybe you wouldn't have been you maybe you would have pulled back and not pushed as hard but you knew that you had the support of your family be like yeah I want to do this that's the only thing that kept it going yeah absolutely man and if it wasn't for my parents I would have had to quit a lot longer prior to that you know i mean i lived with them i mean even after my first divorce i had to go home and live with them for years while i was on the road because i just couldn't afford anything but they're like come home we believe in you and if it wasn't for them standing behind me i wouldn't be where i am now with the opportunities that i got you know so so you you had that same thing and and it's just i think it's a home you know that that's a something square thing you know that's where we're from that's kind of like how we're caught and that's how our families the only place where you can find real people yeah, Real people. I agree. So, I agree. I also got to say, dude, like as far as you said, talking about divorces, how I, I mean, my wife is Saint. a goddamn saint, dude. I mean, so <laughs> when my first son Dane was born, remember, I was in Perth, Australia, and I had to watch it on fucking Skype. Like guy sites and all them, they're like, we can get you like a private plane home. Or I'm like, no, there's no fucking way. No. First of all, I wouldn't make it. Second of all, it's like thirty grand. So I was on <laughs> Skype for like fucking nineteen hours while my fucking poor wife is in labor. And then by the time I got home, I had a 36-hour transit home from Perth to Sydney to Singapore to Tokyo to L.A. to fucking Dallas and Chicago and Syracuse, you know? By the time I got home, my kid was already home. And then my second son, when he was fucking born, I'm in Seattle out with Fozzie and Saxon, and I get the call, she's in labor. I'm like, if I don't make this one, I ain't going to have one. Yeah, I got to get yeah. home for this one. Man. Yeah, dude, I, I got the red eye. I, like, I, I am in it. the country. There's no fucking reason. <laughs> like, Australia's like, yeah, that's a legit, like, okay, I don't think I can get home. But Seattle, right. like, yeah. you can get home in, a, like, in six, seven hours if done correctly. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, dude, Ash, Ashley has been, I mean, besides my parents and, and my brother, yeah. I mean, Ashley has been, like, my biggest supporter <sighs> And fucking literally my backbone for this whole entire goddamn thing that I've done, yeah. especially in the last 10 years. Because, I mean, dude, two kids and, and, and a wife, especially with my kids, how, how they are. How, how you've uh, made, I mean, I've gone through, you know, I've been married and divorced twice. And, and I've seen yeah. everybody in Brand New Sin that was, you know, I don't think any of the people that in Brand New Sin that were with who we were with in Brand New Sin, whether we were married or the kids that we had with the, the, the people that we had, nobody nobody's relationship survived to this day. None. None of them, none of them did. And that's a very true, that's a very true statement. Let's, let's take every band that you worked with. Let's take yeah. everybody that we know, like for you and Ashley still be together after everything that you know, that's a lot. And it's not to say that you guys didn't go through. I mean, you know, there was a lot of shit that you guys went through and for her to still stay there and, and, yeah. and to still be there, man, that's fucking awesome. So like, yeah. Uh, we'll get back to some stories for sure. And, and all the bands that you worked with, but I want to like jump forward to where you are now because you got let go of lamb of God and yep. then you didn't really like, and then kind of pandemic starts happening and all those things, because like, things kind of coinciding, you know, and you're like, man, where am I? Am I going to, you know, try to get this gig again? Am I going to try to go out and get another gig? And you probably could have, um, yep. But you kind of just well, like, well, maybe I should just be home for a little bit and see what fucking happens, right? Right. Yeah. So I started. Uh, I, my cousin Dan uh, is a GM up here at Night Chevrolet or Night uh, Automotive Group, and I like I seen him at Christmas because that's the only time I ever seen my cousin. And I'm like, yo, I'm like, dude, I need a gig. Like, I just I need a gig. And he's like, well, I can have you come up and clean cars. So I, I did uh, January second of 2020 before the pandemic shit started. I started cleaning cars. I did that until the second week of, or no, the, uh, the third week of February. And then he moved me over to sales to try that. And then the, the, I sold one car to my buddy, Nate Huxtable, sold the Cadillac. And then I ended up uh, getting shut down for COVID for eight weeks. <laughs> and I come back and I don't have anything else to go back to regardless. But this 
car sales gig. And I'm like, all right, I really got to figure this out. Like I've, I've figured everything else out that I needed to somehow, some way. So I just kind of jumped in with both feet and here we are today. And, and now you're a car salesman. And like, you're like, I mean, you and I spoke last week, like it's, you've had a hell of a run, man. Like you're, you're doing well, you know, and we'll plug this and I obviously have links for it in all the socials when we post this up. But like, here's where, here's where my question lies. It's like, okay, it seems like it's completely two different worlds. Like, okay, I went from a roadie. I went from playing in bands. We'll also talk about your band fall of humanity, which has been, you know, here and there. And and I think you guys are back, back again. So we'll talk about that. But like, how do you take what you've learned in the music business for nearly two decades and then all of a sudden you go to selling cars and everyone's like scratching their head like it seems like apples and oranges and it doesn't even seem like it's in the same universe but there's one thing and i'll let you answer but i know that the one thing that you already hit upon it's like it doesn't matter like give me a challenge let me see if i can fucking do this and that's what you did in the music industry so i think that translated over but what what do you think that you learned in the music business other than what we i just said to, That's, well, to can, hear. I, can I tell you exactly what it is? Yeah, I want to. I want to know. There's, there's one main comparison, and you you will exactly know what, what I'm talking about. Okay, so Joe, you are in the dressing room, right? And you're getting warmed up, ready to go out for a show. Yeah. <clears throat> you're out there. You go out on the stage. You get your microphone handed to you. The microphone doesn't cut out. This crowd response is great. You sing the very last note. How do you feel? feel great, right? Yeah. You feel incredible, right? Yeah. After you sell a car to somebody, you have that same feeling. The holy fuck, I did it. Like, I helped somebody out. I made what I had to do. I'm making this job work. It's that, that whole together, like, accomplishment thing. I know that when Mark would, I'm going to say Lamb of God for right now. So when Mark would come back to me, or Tom would come back to me, or any artist that I worked for come back after the gig, they'd hug me, hand me their guitar, I'd hit the last note of the night, and I knew that we just kicked some ass. And just that happy, glowing feeling, that's exactly how I feel when I saw a car. <laughs> and that was the one thing that got me. I'm like, holy shit, this is the feeling that I've been missing since I left the touring circuit. Yeah. Like, I missed that holy fuck, we did it feeling. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I haven't that that's awesome. And the, and the cool thing is you get to be home every night now. You get that, can you yeah, kind of get, get that feeling? You're, you're getting to see your kids a lot more, you know, because I mean, I couldn't imagine in my hardcore touring days, I didn't have kids and I watched the other guys in the band miss, you know, birthdays and moments in. I don't think anyone missed a birth. I think everyone was home for a birth. I think that was definitely something we did. We actually flew Kenny home. We knew that he was that was going to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. We flew him home and brought a replacement guy out for a little while. So we did that, but I just right. still watch those guys go through that. And, and now being a father and even just, you know, the busyness that I would have up until COVID happened, there was still times like, fuck, I'm missing like this today. Or like, I can't go to her school concert because, you know, I gotta, right. go, I gotta go gig. I gotta go get a gig or I'm there and I'm out. So like now you have that ability to do that. And, you know, still get kind of get that feeling, but, um, you know, how's this Did like, did any of your like industry friends or like musician friends be like, what are you're what you're doing? What you're selling cars? Like Like, all of them, actually. Yeah, all of them. But now, so now the messages and the phone calls and the texts that I get from those same people are like, dude, you're doing so great. Like, it's incredible. This and that. And like, I'm actually doing it. And, um, um, it's actually funny because um, our mutual Boris, fucking Black Label's tour manager. Yeah. Right? He posted today, I see, like, you know, I've been seeing um, all of my touring friends doing their their home gigs and whatever. And, like, you know, we're almost out of the woods, but I see, like, some of you've done this, done that, become car salesmen. I'm like, you talking about me? <laughs> But no, that's cool. I mean, and nobody in the business is going to knock you for, you know, doing what you do, but it's like, we all, no matter what we do, all we want from, from each other, especially because I mean, there's, I, I always tell people like, I can't, 
imagine what it would have been like going to like war with somebody. Like if you were in Vietnam or one of those main wars and you're, you have that, that camaraderie with somebody that you barely knew. They were from another part of the country. They were completely different cultures almost. And then all of a sudden you went through something together. And sometimes only right. for three weeks at a time or four weeks at a time. But you make these really special bonds very fast with these people. And especially if you spend years with them, then you really make these bonds. And the one thing that you really, I equated it's like, man, I went to, I went to war with these guys, you know, and I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to downplay the people actually go to war, but I'm, I'm just trying to give some kind of relation to somebody. It's like, we did that. We went like out me, there. Me, me, me and PK, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Someone yeah. like Pat, Pat King, P King, you know, like, you know, yeah. and, and once you're into that thing, like all we want from each other, it's just, man, are you happy? Are you doing well? Like when I talk to my industry friends now and they're like, man, you're look at you. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm playing cover songs, you know that? I remember the biggest, I think the biggest compliment I got is when I went and saw Clutch. The seven habits of the highly infected cat. And I went and I ran into JP, the drummer, and I'm friends. I always talk with all those guys, but I always love hanging out with JP, the drummer. And him and I just always have these great conversations. And he's like, so, you know, what are you doing, man? And I told him all the things that I'm doing, how many gigs I was playing, man. And he just, he's smiling at me. I'm like, what, man? He's like, you figured it out, brother. You figured it out. He goes, you fucking found a way to make a living. And like, dude, you're so fucking happy. Like, good for you. I'm like, well, it's not what you're doing. He's like, yeah, but dude get to sleep in your bed every night because sometimes you're probably making way more money than I am. You know, it's like, you know, this is, this is a machine that we have and you're one person. And like, he was like giving me accolades and like, and, and looking at me with some envy and I'm like, wow, man, somebody who I've, you know, looked up to my entire career, even before I knew him is giving me some props. And I'm like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. And I will always remember that conversation that I had with him. That was when I'm like, you know what? I'm doing fucking pretty cool. You know? You, you got that scene. We're all, I mean, dude, all, the whole fucking goddamn CMI area is proud of you. I mean, you're our fucking just go. <laughs> dude, I remember Neil one time, uh, Mudbane and Clutch did a show in a gymnasium out in the middle of fucking I, I the Midwest somewhere, dude. Guys yeah. couldn't even tell you. But uh, Neil had saved me the last Marcus t-shirt that he had. Oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got it still at the house. I was, I was so stoked, dude. I'm like, I need a Marcus shirt. And I told him that, like, three gigs before that I, I mean like a fucking year ago yeah. and literally he had one Marcus shirt in my size and he's like yeah, like he gave it to me I'm like shut up yeah we have to say a side note like Clutch is probably first of all just one of those badass bands ever but they are yeah, the I mean, fucking they have a song named after me. right and they well, have not, the, not, not officially but. <laughs> but they are the coolest fucking dudes out there humble fucking they just salt of the earth type of dudes man and i like i i mean i respect everybody that i've become friends with but they're i have a special place in my heart for those guys you know because they definitely a special place in the heart for clutch i love those you know so it's cool that whole area of people like clutch um all the baltimore bands like fucking uh nothing face nothing face and fucking like uh even that that, like the the Lamb of Gods and the fucking Amens and, you know, all that. Dog uh, Fashion Disco. Yeah, all those crew. Yeah, that crew. Dude, Todd, Like, every single band. Todd <clears throat> fucking that. Yeah. They're all like that. So let's, so let's talk about this. So in, in the midst of all of your roadieing and stuff like that, you're yep. like, you know what? I need, I need a project because at, at, at heart, you're really, you're a musician. You just happen to be, you happen to start making a career as a roadie. So it's like, well, I'm going to roll with this. So I'm going to start yep. my own project, you know, and you start yep. a project with your brother, uh, you know, and, and just start recording stuff and eventually becomes what is now known as fall of humanity, uh, which you yep. guys have had some, some pretty moderate, I guess, moderate success with, 
with a couple of singles, with a couple of help from the people in the industry, someone like Jose on Sirius kind of helped yep. you guys out and gave you a pop and like, and you had, you signed a deal with Cobalt records and it, yep. you know, it's, it's been an up and down thing with you because every time you wanted to kind of get into doing fall of humanity, you had to go do your job. You had to go like, Oh, exactly. Lamb of God's going out. So it had was actually a tour. Fall of humanity did a, a, a small, well, I say a small tour. We did 20 shows in 24 days from Syracuse to Seattle. And the last show we were supposed to do was supposed to be in Salt Lake. Um, so I had a flight booked out because I had to literally fly to Vinny's house to start a Hell Yeah tour the day after fucking that show was supposed to happen. That show ended up getting canceled by the promoter without us knowing. But we drove there anyway because I still had to get to a fucking airport and I didn't have money <laughs> to change the flight. So, um, yeah, dude, fucking we did that. And like, yeah, exactly. Every time that we wanted to do something, I'd have to go out on, on the road again. And it is what it is. But Right. But, but at least, at least yeah, you've had your outlet. And then there's been times where we'll go, I guess that's kind of over with now because, you know, life, as we get older, especially when there's kids and, and like, you know, mortgages and, and bills to pay, you know, sometimes like, well, shit, you know, you kind of miss that window of when you start a band, when you don't have any of that. And you're like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go live in a van and just go drive around the country where none of you can really do that. Well, except for your brother, your brother's a whole different yeah. story within himself, but yeah. everybody else that's involved, right? That dude just, he's got it. You know, that dude, I've, I've always, I envy your brother for just like, he's got, he's like, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. And that's awesome. Good for Mikey. But like, when it comes to like, to you, you had to do that, but like, you guys are recording again. You put out a single in December, I believe. You released another song. Yeah, Christmas Day. Christmas That's Day. We right. released uh, Never Dies. Yep. Right. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. You don't have any pressure with that band. You know, that's the one thing no. that I like about when I do original projects now. I don't have the pressure yep. of like, I need this to like take off. I need this to, oh my God, well, I got to hustle this and I got to make money off that. I have my ways to make money. It's kind of a, a comfort zone thing to be like, you know what, I'm just going to create. And if it ends up being something that people like, then awesome. And we'll see what happens and we'll go from there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like Stevens. That song, I, don't, I mean, I still don't know how the hell it happened, but it got over like, like 1.2 million streams on Spotify. That's awesome. a single itself, which is, I mean, it, it's really fucking rad. I, yeah, for I a, thank everybody for listening to it. Right for anybody, know? I mean, and for you, you did that with like no label, no real like social media gravitation that was just that was like an old school like it just kind of word of mouth you got a couple of people to do some spins you started it started taking off the next thing you know you had this freaking thing happen it's like man that's that's pretty yeah. cool that is pretty cool yeah, dude. i mean the label they they pushed it as much as a digital label would push you know but they put it on all the platforms but it just got shared so many times and stuff like that people actually dug it and i was like man that's that's really, really cool. You know, it's really cool to see that over a million people have listened to your song and maybe liked it. <laughs> but, uh, and, but we still have the label, you know, like they haven't dropped us yet, thank fucking God. <laughs> and so we still have the platform to put music out. I don't know how we're not dropped. Right. Me and Mikey have been battling back and forth for years about stupid shit. Right. But, I mean, it's there. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, well, I mean, what, what, what? What people think a label is, is there, I mean, they're thinking about what labels used to be, you know, in the eighties and nineties. And I mean, labels are so, they're, they're so different than what they used to be and what people think they are. You know, it's, it's a fair, I, don't, I honestly yeah, don't, they can't make money off record sales anymore. I right. Mean, so it's like, how to make money. right. Oh, so it's like, yeah, exactly. I try to tell people that I'm like, I don't know how each label operates, but cause each label is going to operate a little bit different back in the day you made money off the CDs and all this other stuff where now it's like, okay, 
where do you where are they making their fucking money? It's like how do they do it? So they have to get really ingenuitive. They have to really think outside the box, and they got to find ways to do that. So, and even when the money comes back, it's not like large sums of money. So they have to be careful about what they're investing because they don't know when the investment's right. going to come back. I mean, sign-on bonuses for bands and the hundreds of thousands or millions, that's fucking gone. No, those are gone. It's been gone for a long time. You know? It's like, basically, all right, here you go, kid. If you need a little tour support, we'll get you a van, and then you're paying back right. everything with interest. So, like, yeah, so let me, let, me ask you, let me ask you a few questions, because, I mean, sure. we could sit here and tell so many stories and, and all that stuff, but I want, I want to get to something where, the, some, like, okay, it, this is gonna be might be a tough question, but who's the coolest fucking rock star you ever met? Like, maybe it's not even the one that you thought was gonna be cool, but like, man, that dude was cool as fuck. You didn't, you may not even became friends with him. You just had a moment or two with him, and you're like, wow, dude, I fucking met that guy, and and this was the story of how it happened. Like, who's who do you think that? Can you pick one guy that's the coolest fucking oh, guy you ever met? Okay, uh, I can't, but I've got a couple. But okay, I can tell you um, one that I I mean, one dude that's just the most beautiful soul and I love him so fucking much. I actually teched for him uh, when he was playing in Calvera Conspiracy when I was with Hatebreed. Hey we played Monsters of Rock with Judas Priest up in fucking uh, up in Canada some goddamn wherever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. And Hatebreed's hey tech couldn't get in. I got a call uh, over the radio from my tour manager saying that Max called him and needing a tech. So they offered my services and I'm like, okay. So I teched for this dude. Years later, I see him backstage in uh, Tampa in uh, this festival that we're doing. And he comes off the bus and I'm talking to one of the techs and this guy's looking at me and I'm kind of looking at him. And then he points and he's like, Marcus. And I'm like, Johnny fucking Chow. Johnny Chow. And he's like, yes. And you know, Johnny, Johnny now he's become one of, uh, and one of my favorite people on the, and there's so many of them, but Johnny just, He's a local dude, Buffalo. Yeah, he's, he's, a his, Buffalo he's a Buffalo guy. Restaurant. Yeah, yeah. He's got a fucking Japanese restaurant up there. He's, he's, the, ba- he's the bass player in Stone Sour. Uh, yeah. He played in Cavalier exactly. Conspiracy. Uh, I met yep. Johnny years ago and only met him briefly. And he was in a band called Systematic, which was out of San Francisco. Yep. And he was in that band. And he was just one of those dudes that kind of like you'd see him pop up on all these different bands but yeah buffalo guy and i remember him and i connected he's like wait where are you from i'm like i'm from circus i'm from buffalo you know and we immediately like okay we became buddies but like yeah that's awesome i seen him on ship rock when i was out there with shaman's harvest and him and i fucking uh i knew he was there he knew i was there but i hadn't caught up with him and then he was there was like a whole bunch of fucking dudes all the stone sour dudes and fucking hanging out with uh like the heads of the boat and shit and johnny saw me in the casino he broke off from them and he sat down and just him and I bullshitted for like an hour and a half about my band and, and new shit with Stone Sour, the restaurant, just whatever, catching up like old friends. And and he does so much for the community up there in Buffalo and shit. And he just that's the, one of the coolest dudes. And of course, Vinny Paul. I I I can never yeah. say enough great things about Vinny Paul. Vinny is was the most humble, um, giving, appreciative person I've ever had the uh, privilege of. Being friends with, especially on the road, because it was more than just um, crew and band, especially with that band. And Lama got the same way, but um, I talk about Vinny Paul, I'll just stick with Hell Yeah for now. It wasn't like band and crew. It was literally, we were a family. We did everything together. We stayed at the same hotel. We went out to eat as groups. We did catering as groups. Like everything that we did, we were a group. Yeah. And I loved it. It was amazing. Well, it was that's like the greatest that's, 10 years of my life. That's, I mean, it's if anybody it. goes back and watches, you know, and anyone's a big enough Pantera grow up. My band was right. doing a lot of shit at the time. I didn't know where I was going to go with it. I didn't know if I was going to do full-time Fall of Humanity. We were getting a lot of love from Sirius with Hulk Blood, and we had management calling us up and everything else. So um, that's when I got parted ways with Hell Yeah. I was kind of like, well, you should go do your own thing. And one time, before I even started Fall of Humanity, Vinny was giving me a ride to the airport from his house in Dallas. And he told me, he's like, Marcus, he's like, you, you know, you're a great, great asset to us, and you're a brother. He's like, but you really need to do your own thing. He's like, you need to, you need to have your own band. He's like, you're just wasting talent. And 
that's when I came home and I talked talked to my dad about it, and he's like, "He's right, you should." And then we kind of just started doing it. Yeah, and you can watch those home videos, and you knew enough about Pantera that they were that that was a huge thing for the Abbott brothers, for both Dime and Vinny, and anybody in that camp. That oh, that yeah. was that was not just. I mean, everybody was on the level, whether it was Cat the, the drum tech or, you know, Guy Sykes yeah. or, you know, Big Val, they were all characters, oh, man. I love Val. You know, there were all these I characters, right, and it was all these huge things, and that's that was a huge part of it, and I mean, I crossed paths with, in Diamond Vinny a few times, and like, the first time I met him, we were in Dallas, we were playing a club called, I think it was the Galaxy Club, and, and, yeah. and we were on tour with Fu Manchu, and everyone's like, Diamond Vinny are going to be here. Diamond Vinny are going to be here. And they're like, well, all right. They're probably going to not even roll in while our set played. But they did. They ended up watching our set. There wasn't that many people there. There's probably a couple hundred. But they roll in with this big entourage. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not even going to go. Like, I'm just going to leave them be. I'm not going to go up to them. I'm just going to. They're they're having their thing. But one of them comes back. I can't remember if it was Vinny or Dime. They came back in our dressing room and like, you motherfuckers are great. Why don't you come out and fucking drink with us? You know, and and they ended us and immediately just brought us into their world, and we had a blast with them. And then I didn't see them until they started Damage Plan, yep. and then they came to Syracuse on like a they were just going around visiting radio stations, and they had came in the town yep. and uh, Scorch, who used to be on, uh, it was at the time the Dog. Oh yeah. Dude, and, I ran into that dude in fucking like New Hampshire. Right, exactly. Yeah, He's in like Wisconsin or something now. But like, so he invites me yeah. down and said, come down here. You know, these guys are in here. And I'm like, man, they're not. All right, I'll come down. I'll be and I'll hang out. But I'm like, I'm just going to sit in a corner. You know, they, they, I'm only met him once, you know. And the whole time of the interview, Vinny and Dime are kind of leaning into each other and looking over at me. And then finally the commercial, they go on commercial break and they're like, Remember you, motherfucker. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you played in Dallas. You're in that band, the brand new sin. I'm like, holy shit. And I'm like, you fucking remember? They're like, yeah, man, you got pipes, man. And, you know, and it was immediately like, yeah. wow, these dudes like remembered me, you know? And after that, like we crossed paths a few times, you know? And I got the, you know, a couple of weeks before Dime passed, we were in Chicago. We went to Damage Plan, Shadows Fall, Haunted Show, and they called us yeah. down on stage. And all of us were down on stage. It was everyone was doing walk, and every band from the tour is up there, and all these people from Chicago are up there. Charlie Benante's up there from the Anthrax, yeah. And we're all just kind of singing walk, you know, into the thing. And the next thing you know, I feel a tap on my shoulder, and it's Dime hitting me with this wireless mic. It's like you got the second verse. Yeah. You got the second verse. I'm like fucking a. I got the second verse. And I remember stepping up to the front of the stage. And I'm like I. What's the words? What's the words? I can't remember the fucking words. You know, and I just, all of a sudden it just came out of me and I sang it, but I got this picture and dimes like that. And Pat just behind me, just let me have my thing. And I was like, I'm like, man, that, if anything, just reiterates what kind of person Vinny and dime were, you know? So it's like, what great people. And I mean, where would you be without that opportunity that you got from him, you know, and then to be there as long as you were, you know, not just Vinny, but Chad and, and Greg and Tom and, and everybody else has been in and out of that band, you know? So, I mean, yeah, dude, I mean, yeah. what, dude, what, I remember one time I, when I first got down to Vinny, when I first started, Dallas at the Hell yeah camp, I saw he had a brand new synth CD and I was like, dude, this is my brother's band. He's like, what is it? He's like, you serious? What do you mean? I'm like, yeah, my brother was a drummer. So then <laughs> fast forward about probably eight years later, um, I told Vinny, we had a bus broke down. We were staying in Vegas at his place for about a week. I'm like, hey, Vinny, I'm, like, I'm going to have my brother fly down. Is it cool if he comes over and shit? He's like, dude, I need to tell you this right now. He's like, this whole time, I thought your brother was just a friend of yours. Just <laughs> know that he was actually legitimately your brother until today, the day that we were talking about it. I'm like, shut up, really? Dude, when my brother got there, Vinny grabbed him like fucking shoulder and shoulder. They were best friends the whole entire time we were down there. I was just like basically the driver for them to go have a good time. And I loved Shocking. every second of it. Then he told me Mikey was one of the best drummers he'd ever seen. I agree. And I was like, no shit. Yeah, I have to agree too. I mean, he's Mikey. I want to strangle the shit out of him. And I think I have. There was one time I, 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 I've, I've strangled the guy once. I strangled him once yeah, outside no, of, of the show. But I always tell everybody, I'm like, man, I've been super blessed in any project that I've ever been in 
to have like really amazing drummers, you know, and, you know, I, you know, I've got to play with, you know, not only Mike, but, you know, we had Kevin Dean after Mike, uh, and then an elephant mountain had a guy named Luke, you know, and then I had Sully in, in elephant mountain for a little bit. And I've, I've played, you know, and my cover bands, I had someone like Ricky from under the gun. So like, I got some of the best guys in the area, but I always tell everybody, I go, the guy that I think blows them all away is Mike, because there's, there's times like, I don't even like other guys talk about their drumming, what they're doing and oh, I'm doing this triplet, blah, 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 blah. And they're doing all these things and they got to talk about it. And Mike just like, it's like, he doesn't even think he just plays this amazing shit. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like, dude, that. what did you just, yeah, I remember exactly. we were writing the first brand new sin record and Mike was considerably younger than the rest of us. Mike was 20 when that first record out, like there was times we had to oh, worry about getting Mike into a club or Mike could like, yeah, you could play the show and then you got to leave. You couldn't stay in the club cause you were so young. <laughs> so, you know, there was a stark, you know, almost 10 year difference between most of us. So there was this, this thing and there was times where writing and Chris or somebody be like, yeah, well, we'll go back and do that thing you did. And Mike's like, well, what'd I do? Well, you did that thing. And he's like, well, I don't remember what it did. Like you motherfucker just played it. And then he'd do something yeah, and it was I even cooler than what the thing they did before. I'm like, man, this fucking kid sometimes doesn't even know how fucking good he is, you know? Fucking- oh, dude, just like recording the other night was like fucking, he's like, I'm just going to put down a, a simple drum beat right now. He's just programming in to get some ideas or whatever. And I'm like, dude, that's fucking phenomenal. And I know he can pull off everything that he puts in there. Right. He's like, nah, it's whatever. And I know like next week I'm going to go back over there and it's going to be like, oh. Where the hell did this come from? Right, yeah, that's cool. I mean, right, I mean, that's well, Joey. I just yeah. Got home, I was gonna say, man, we're gonna have to do this again another time. We're we're right there, man. There's we'll more stories to say. We'll do definitely do a part two. But uh, thanks for being on the show, man, and, and and give Ashley and the kids a big hug, man, and and tell them that I love them, and I'll see you soon, brother. All right, buddy. All right. I love you too, bud. Right. Great chatting with you. Thank you. Later. All right, bye. Yeah. That was my buddy Marcus. Uh, I mean, we, him and I could literally talk for uh, fucking hours. I mean, that dude has seen more. I mean, I got stories. He's got bigger stories because he's been around. He's been in the business even longer than me on the larger end, seen the biggest tours and been with the big, you know, some of the biggest bands in that genre. So like we definitely have Marcus back and it's just, it's just, I love seeing people who I grew up with, people that mean a lot to me, people from my childhood, people from my past, people from my music career, just succeed in general. And 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 Marcus and his brother Mike mean the world to me. His family means the world to me. When we talked about his parents, I cannot think of two parents more supportive than and than than Diane and Big Mike. They are um they're just great people with complete music lovers and gigantic fans of their kids. And and and, and I, I applaud them too. So big shout out to the whole Rafferty family, um, including Ashley and the boys. So we will have them back. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I got some big ones coming up over the next couple of weeks. So you guys stay tuned and we'll see you the next time on the Just Joe Podcast. <laughs>